Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So, and then the one last big pressing bit of news. Yes, I did get a haircut. So that's just if, if you're sitting out there and did he get a haircut? Isn't it funny? You, you change something about yourself. You get a haircut or you shave or ladies, you know, you do your hair differently. And it's, did you? And it's like, well, yes, isn't it obvious? Why don't you just say you like it or no? And that's fine either way. Um, but Shelly still thinks I'm hot. So I don't care what you think. Uh, that's my wife, by the way, for those of you who are visiting. So that's, that's not some, some random person. So we, we will continue our look into glory and redemption. And, and this story unfolding of God who created us and loves us. And after the fall has a plan to redeem mankind that slowly unfolds throughout the Old Testament. And so when we read the Old Testament, we understand its value because it reveals to us this unfolding plan of redemption. And last week, we really focused in on Abram, who becomes Abraham, and the promises that God made to him, including promises like this. Chapter 13, verse 15, God says to Abram at the moment, because his name has not yet been changed, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. And this is when Abram is in the land of Canaan and what we know, know now know is Israel and, and the Palestine area that, that this was promised to Abram who would become Abraham and all of his descendants. And God says this is a forever promise. Now remember that this promise by God to Abram was significant because Abram was advanced in age, 75 at this point. His wife Sarai was 65 at this point and known to be unable to conceive children. And so God is saying to Abram, I'm going to give you a child, at least one, uh, offspring of your own body. And, and God clarifies the promise and, and, and helps Abram to understand it. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, which moves him from the father is exalted, a name that lifts up his own father, to one that is means father of many nations, Abraham, a father of many peoples. And so God gives him a name change. And it's significant in Scripture when we see a name change because it is a change of status. It's a change of, of um, who he is in God's eyes. And so God is bringing this promise to pass. And he, he says to now Abraham... Something about his wife, Sarai. He says to him, as for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. And this name changes. It's a small name change, one from, from the, it means princess to princess, but it's one from their native uh, tongue to one that's more Hebrew in nature. And so this name change means that God is not just changing Abram, He's also changing Sarai and bringing them into a new era of life. And we see how God has been faithful. Last week we talked about God's faithfulness to bring this promise to life. Because God says to, to Abram, who is Abraham now, I will bless her, Sarah. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. 
And when God says this to Abraham, the really exciting thing that we know to be true is he's pushing 100 and Sarah is right up on the edge of 90. Now, many of us, once we reach, you know, our 50s or so, we think we're done with things, right? I mean, this is all wrapped up. Uh, We're going to grow them up and send them out. And here are Abraham and Sarah, and they are uh, almost 100 and almost 90, and they are looking at having their first child together. Can you imagine? I mean, you're rolling up to the gender reveal and you're hover around, right? How, how exciting is this? Um, they weren't quite that, that old. They didn't age quite the same way. Abraham lives uh, about another 40 years. Sarah lives about another 30, almost 40 years from this time. Uh, but uh, what we're going to see, though, is we're going to shift our focus from Abraham over to Sarah. And, and why are we going to do that? Well, because it's important to understand that God works and makes promises both to the men in Scripture and to the women. And to understand a little bit more of her character and who she is and what God does through and in her. So we know that God is going to give this aging woman who has up to this point been completely unable to bear a child, even though she has exhausted much effort. And, and, and he is going to bless her with a child, um, and Abraham will be the father. And so that brings us to chapter 18. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles up to chapter 18, we're going to do a little bit of overview, um, but then we're going to focus in on some specific verses as well. So in Genesis chapter 18, it's a a new moment in Abraham and Sarah's life. And all of a sudden, they're camped out near the Oaks of Mamre, which is uh, the same area where they began their journey into Canaan about 25 years earlier. They're camped out there. And all of a sudden, at their tent, three men come up to uh, to them. Uh, they arrive and, and Abram, Abraham, I'm going to mess, mess this up over and over. You, you get so used to trying to make yourself say Abram and Sarai. Now that they've changed names, I'm going to mess it up. So just be gracious with me. Understand, I know who I'm talking about. I'll get the names right eventually sometime when I see Jesus face to face. But so Abraham and Sarah, they're camped out. These three visitors arrive and Abraham notices there is something special about them. He invites them in. He offers them hospitality, which is a, a common practice in this day and age. But it's also significant because, like I said, Abraham seems to recognize there is something significant about these three visitors. And now it, it turns out that one of these three is the angel of the Lord. This is a theophany. This is God himself coming and revealing himself as a man, clearly a, a unique and special man, in order to communicate with Abraham and Sarah. And so that's what's occurred is now these three visitors are sitting, they're enjoying all the goods that Abraham and Sarah have prepared. Actually, Sarah did all the hard work. Abraham just gets to bring it out and say, look what I did, right? And ladies, you know what that's like. Um, You know, that you do all the hard work, your husband. Yes, isn't it wonderful, this spread we put out. Um, So anyway, we get to chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And the the angel of the Lord says to Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? So this would have been then just these 
these four men, Abram and these three visitors, sitting outside the tent, sharing in goods together, sharing in this hospitality together. And the angel of the Lord, one of the three, says to Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, remember, they're, they're aging. Sarah is almost 90. Abraham is almost 100. And it says that Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. So she's sitting back. She's not allowed culturally to interact with the men uh, in, in, a, in a social setting, but she's listening to what's going on. She, she knows that something special is happening here just outside of the tent. And so she hears what the angel of the Lord says to her a husband, Abraham. And uh, it, it says in verses 11 and 12, it kind of gives us a, a reminder again of who they are. And then Sarah's response, Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. That's a nice way to say it, isn't it? 90 and 100. I mean, the, the Though their life expectancy was a little bit longer than ours, at this point, they're old. They're well past being able to have a child by natural means on their own. And, and it says, once again, reminds us, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So not only had she been barren all the way up to this point, but she's now too old to have a child even for this day and age. So she laughed to herself. She's listening at the tent door. She, she hears what's discussed. And the angel of the Lord says, your wife, Sarah, you know, the one she's getting on in years like you are, and she's way past childbearing age. She's going to have a baby. She hears this and she laughs. Um, you, you've had an experience. You, you're with somebody and all of a sudden they just, <laughs> And you wonder what it was about. I do this all the time. My poor wife. Uh, I, I'm, I'm this person. I always have an internal dialogue going on. And I, I don't know if anybody else is like that. But there's, we're always discussing things together up here. And, um, and, and so when we, 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 in our discussions, we'll come up on something that, that happened earlier in the day. And, and it's just like, <laughs> and she's like, what? What, what? Like, I'm not even there, right? And, and what? She asks me, what's so funny? Nothing. And I know it's so annoying because the truth is, is it's, it's nothing right in front of us ever, right? Because we're, we're walking into the grocery store. We're, we're stopping to feed somebody's chickens. It's never anything that we're actually doing. It's something that happened to me hours or days or months or lifetimes earlier. But I'm thinking about it. And then to explain why it was funny, she just looks at me like, what's wrong with you? As I try and tell her the story. Now, this is not the circumstance necessarily with Sarah, because she's right there in front of her. She knows what's going on. She hears what God has said, and she laughs out loud to herself. But it is that <laughs> kind of moment. And it's out loud, and, and the angels hear her, and, and God hears her, and Abraham hears her. And she, she kind of follows this laughter up with this, this internal question, kind of whispered to herself, Am I, or after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I finally have delight? Like, like, this can't be true. 
This can't be real. There is no way this could happen. And why so late in life? Why couldn't God have done this earlier when we were younger, when staying up with an infant wouldn't have been quite the circumstance and an overwhelming thing that it is for us today? You can, you can just kind of hear these, these questions percolating in her mind. So she laughs out loud. She, she questions, is this really possible? And then scripture goes on to tell us earlier, actually, that Abraham had laughed as well. In, in chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham, when God told him that he would be a father to a child birthed by Sarah, Abraham says, well, he laughs and he says, can a child be born to a hundred year old man? Can Sarah, a 90 year old woman, give birth? So Sarah was not alone in her difficulties in believing that this could be true. Abraham earlier had laughed and kind of doubted what God had to say. Not in a, it's not possible, but in a, how is it possible kind of way. Now, let's go back to the tent. Let's go back to Sarah and Abraham and the the three visitors, one of whom is the angel of the Lord. And Sarah laughs and, and says to herself, there's no way this is possible. And then we see this. The Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. And so the angel of the Lord responds by saying, Why are you laughing? Why are you asking if this is possible? Everything is possible by the power of God. This is a a question that that the answer is, everything is possible by the power of God. And in fact, I'm going to come back in a year, and you're going to see what's going to happen. Now, as we read on, we see that... that, uh, Sarah actually gets so offended at, at the angel of the Lord. She's like, oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't laugh. You, you misheard. It, was, it wasn't a chuckle. It was a snort. It, you know, I mean, it's just, she says, I, I didn't laugh. And in, in verse 15, Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you, you laughed. Isn't that cool to, to just imagine the angel of the Lord in this discussion with, with Sarah, who is, is laughing in, in disbelief at, at what he is saying about what's going to happen in her life. Oh, wait, wait, no, I, I really didn't laugh. I, I, I mean, it was a, it's just, you know, no, you, you laughed. And, and, and not as a rebuke. I don't think we should read this as a rebuke so much as just an affirmation of, I heard you. I know where your heart is. I know what's going on in your mind. But what we see is, even though God clearly sees and understands her difficulties in walking in faith and believing what he says to be true, could be true for her life, he still responds with love and grace and makes it come to pass in just a year. I was reading a book, it's a Creation and Blessing, and kind of a, an expository commentary on the book of Genesis. And Alan Ross, he says this, he says, Nothing is incredible or unable to believe, be believed 
for those in covenantal fellowship with the Lord because nothing is too marvelous for Him. Nothing is is beyond belief when we trust in God's Word, when we walk in His promises, because nothing that He has promised to us is beyond His accomplishing. And so we can look back through Scripture and when we read in Genesis chapter 3 and then Genesis chapter 6 and 9 and 11 and now 12 and, and 18 and 21, 22, we see that God's promises are not too miraculous. They're not too big for Him to accomplish. He brings them to pass. And He brings them to pass in the life of those who walk in relationship with Him. And so we we simply, when we see these incredible things happening in our lives, that we see God doing miracles, or we see Him promise something and we're waiting for the miracles to be, be true, to come to pass in our lives, we need to trust that it's possible. It can happen. I, I know that many Christians looking back over the last 50 so years with, with abortion, something like that, believing that something like this week would never come to pass, that our, our culture would just get worse and worse and worse, and the laws would get worse and worse and worse, and yet here we are, and something that many have prayed for and worked for for decades now has come to pass. Now, is it the end of the promise? No, it's just the beginning. But this is a step in the promise that has come to pass. And so we rejoice because nothing is too big for our God. And we see just about a year later in Genesis chapter 21, this visit by the three visitors and the angel of the Lord. Now we get to see the, the, the conclusion of it. We get to see God's promise finally being completely fulfilled. Genesis 21 Verses 1 and 2, it says this, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And there is so much just, just in that one verse. He came to her like he said he would, and he did for her what he said he would do. We, we, we could even just camp out on that one verse and just spend time saying, Here we have a woman who doubted and struggled with believing God. We have a woman who, we're going to look at her character a little bit more in detail, but but God, because of what he had said, because of what he had promised, he came and he did. And it didn't depend on Sarah. It doesn't say anywhere in this, this passage that because Sarah was a great lady and she really deserved it, And she had walked in holiness for a year or a day or a month. It says, God, because he had promised it and because it was what he said, he he, he came and he did it. And what did he come and do? Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. I love it. Scripture just focuses on the fact that he's old. She's pretty old too. Remember, this is a miracle for both of them. At the appointed time, God had told him that when the time was right, God came and God did. The promise was always certain. It's taken 25 years in their life for this promise to be fulfilled. They've tried to fulfill it on their own strength. Remember the story of Ishmael. They've tried to make God's promises come to pass in their own wisdom. And it led to hurt and failure. But now, when it's God's time, 
He comes and he does. And the promise is fulfilled. Verses 3 through 5 of chapter 21 tell us this. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now, anybody know what Isaac means, what it refers to, what it's referencing in there? Yeah, laughter. They named their son, what God had told them to name him, laughter. Now, um, I think God's got a wicked cool sense of humor, right? You're going to name your son Isaac. Why are you going to name your son Isaac? I want you to remember you laughing at me when I told you what I would do. But I also want you to remember that you are laughing with joy when I did what I said I would. And we're going to see that's what actually what Sarah uh, says about him. Uh, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So we understand that Sarah, how old is she? She's 10 years younger. Let's all those math majors. She's 90. That's right. I'm so proud of all of you for your mathing. Um, don't ask a pastor to math. He'll always add a couple hundred to the number. Uh, there are 600 people here today. And uh, right no. But <clears throat> there's everybody that God had intended to be here today. And I'm so thankful for you. But Abraham is, is 100. Sarah is 90. And they have this joy of the birth of Isaac. And then Sarah says, God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. I love the the focus. It's like, he is such an old coot, but I did it for him. Right? I mean... And she's, she's well past what should have been possible, right? How beautiful this is. How amazing this is. These two people, both of them, God called them out of a pagan life over two months uh, journey away and, 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 and called them to this land. They have lived 25 years eagerly anticipating the promise that they would have a child come to pass. They've tried to figure it out themselves. They've tried to force God's hand. And yet finally, in God's time, according to his coming, his doing, now they have this child and they're both laughing and rejoicing and inviting everyone around them to laugh with them at what God has done. And so when we look at this, we see in Sarah this great woman of faith. This woman who ultimately comes to a place where she trusts God and God brings his promises to pass in her life. In fact, when we look at Sarah and, and how scripture in other places speaks of her, Isaiah 51.2, the prophet in speaking about encouraging the people of Israel to walk in faithfulness with their God. Yeah, he says this, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you. When I called him, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. Here God, through the prophet Isaiah, is lifting up Abraham and Sarah as an example of faithful people who walked with him. And he blessed them and made them many. So we see that that both Abraham and Sarah are exalted as faithful believers. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 
the, the writer of Hebrews in the, the chapter 11 hall of faith begins to, to chronicle all the great believers of, of history in order to encourage the Christians of his day. And in chapter 11, verse 11, he says this, By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. The writer of Hebrews lists up Sarah and says, she's an example for all of us to look to. She believed what God had to say, and when she believed it and trusted in the one who made the promise, she received the power for that promise to come true in her life. How awesome is that? How, how cool is that? This example of who Sarah is, this great woman of faith. First uh, Peter 3, 5, and 6 talks about the women of the Old Testament and the example they serve of submission and, and the right relationship of wives to their husbands. First Peter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorn themselves in this way, lives of, of, of graciousness, lives of humility, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Peter says to the women of the church, Sarah is your example. She is one, if you follow in her footsteps of faith, you will become her children and you will not fear any intimidation as you do good. So we have this beautiful picture of Sarah as a great woman of faith. And sometimes that's where our Sunday school lessons stop. Sometimes that's where we, in, in looking at how God works through mankind to bring about his plan of redemption, this is where we stop. We look at the, the Old Testament and we see individuals like Abraham and Sarah and we lift them up and we make them heroes and we put them on pedestals and we say, look at what God did through them and we rejoice. But what we fail to do is to understand that they are not on pedestals. They're actually on the same level as we are. They are frail. They are sin-laden. They are broken. They struggle. They laugh at God when He makes these promises to them. And so I want you to, to, to journey with me to understand that Abraham and Sarah, they're not just to be put on a pedestal, but we're supposed to also understand them as people who have shortcomings and failures. And so when we look at Sarah and the amazing miracle that God does in her life that the writer of Hebrews says was based upon her faith in the promise of God himself, it's also important to understand Sarah's shortcomings. And, and Abraham walks hand in hand with her in many of these. To understand something about Sarah... She misled others about her relationship to Abraham at least twice in Scripture. Now, it, we can say um, it's Abraham's fault because it is. He's the one that comes up with the idea. Here's the thing. Even in her advanced age, Sarah was still a looker. And every time they went someplace new, Abraham is like, Hey, if people know we're married, they'll probably try and kill me so they can marry you. Because you're that hot. And so um, there's just this concern. And actually, it, it, it turns out that the kings and leaders of the places they go are very attracted to Sarah 
And you might go, how when she's advanced in age? And I go, I don't know. But she was still really good looking according to scripture. So at least twice it's recorded that Sarah and Abraham walk into a kingdom and lie about their relationship to one another. Well, not really lie, but tell a half truth. Because we find out in scripture that Sarah and Abraham, they're half brother and sister. And once again, today we go, ew. Back then it was a common practice to marry within your family group and and even to marry a close relative like the daughter of your father by another woman, right? So this, this happens. And so what they said to these places where they walked in, they didn't say we're married. They said we're, we're brother and sister. And Abraham makes this suggestion. And what does Sarah do? Okay. Now, one could say this is laudable because she submits to the leadership of her husband. But on the other hand... She's willing to participate in deception in order to save their skins. And so there's a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God's hand evidenced by participating in this lie. Sarah is the one that comes up with the Hagar solution. If you're not familiar with it, let's remind ourselves. It is in chapter 16. Sarah is getting impatient with the promise of God. A number of years have passed, about 10 years or so have passed. And, and she's looking at her husband, and he's getting older. And she's looking at herself in the mirror, and she's getting older. And she begins to doubt that God can really bring the promise to pass in their lives. So her solution, I've got a servant. And I'll give my servant to my husband, and she will have a child in my place. Now, if you remember, this does not go well. It does not result in the joyful happiness that they had hoped. Instead, it results in division and bitterness in their family. And the long-term history is the Hagar solution is what has resulted in the animosity between the Jewish and the Arabic peoples, more specifically Muslims. And so this, this seemingly wise solution birthed from Sarah is actually an act of faithlessness. Not disobedience necessarily, but faithlessness. She did not trust God's promise. We see in in chapter 16 a little bit later that she ends up being jealous and vindictive toward Hagar. And and ultimately towards the the son of Hagar, Ishmael. She she gets them kicked out. Abraham was such a, a, a softy in all this too. She says, why don't you have my servant? And he goes, okay. And then she gets upset and he says, well, you just take care of it. And, and so it's, it's this, uh, there's this softness, but we can see that Sarah is jealous and vindictive about the things that she thought she wanted. She ends up being bitter about them. Ultimately, we see as, all, as well as Abraham, Sarah laughs at God. This laughter, this, this, I don't know that you could actually do that, God. We see it coming out of her. And so when we look at Sarah, we can say that along with everyone, really, we've looked at so far, she is imperfect. She is not used by God because she is some paragon of perfection. But instead, God works in her life because that's his plan. So how is it that God can use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plans. 
Because, see, this is critical because God still has a plan to redeem mankind. It was fulfilled in many ways through the, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But do you understand that the, the plan of redemption is continuing even today? That day by day it's unfolding that He longs for you to be fully redeemed and brought into His presence. He, he longs for others to be redeemed and brought into His presence. How can a perfect God use imperfect people like Sarah and Abraham? It's because... He's the one that's doing the work of perfecting. It's His power that they're dependent upon. It's His work that makes things happen. So if you turn with me and just look quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Or, in other words, consider who you are in light of what God says He wants to do in your life. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us our righteousness sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, Paul is telling us here that God specifically chooses imperfect people to work through so that the world around can look at the works that have occurred through imperfect and less than people and that God might get all the glory. Now, some of us well, we were wise. Some of us were wealthy. Some of us were powerful. Some of us did have a noble birth, but most of us did not. And yet God has still chosen to work through the less thans so that he might be glorified. But he's the one that does the work. If you look again at, at verse 30, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. In other words, God has provided His Son, Jesus, and He fills up our imperfections. It says, He is our righteousness. When the Father looks at you and you are in Christ, you are righteous. He is our sanctification. He is the one that provides the power for us to grow in holiness from day to day. He is our redemption, the promise that we will ultimately be saved. How can God use someone like Sarah? Because it wasn't dependent upon Sarah or her character or her abilities, but what happened in her life was completely dependent upon the power of God at work in her. And that's what Paul is saying about us today. How can God use imperfect people like us to advance his redemptive plan, because he's doing all the work to make you what you need to be 
to fulfill His perfect plans in both your life and the lives of those around you. We should be encouraged because God uses imperfect people by doing the work of perfecting them Himself. When you look at yourself and you look in the mirror and you see all your own spiritual flaws and you you think about your own shortcomings, they're real and they're genuine and God is not overlooking them and ignoring them, but instead He is doing the work of perfecting you and redeeming you and shaping you and molding you that He might work through you. Just like it took 25 years for Sarah and Abraham to get in spiritual shape that the promise could come true. God is working to get you in spiritual shape that the promises he made in your life, that you will reach people, that you will share your faith, that there will be blessings that will flow when you, sh- you speak and, and, and move into the lives of people and serve them. All of that is taking time and he is working in you and making you perfect and ready to send you out even now. To do the work, to reach the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. In other words, we were all the most imperfect of the imperfect if we're honest about ourselves. That we all used to be at one point in our life completely useless when it comes to spiritual things but verse 3 or verse 4 but god god looks at us in our imperfection he looks at us in our sinfulness he looks at us in our laughing at him in our doubt of his promises he looks at us and like he looked at sarah and said it doesn't matter i'm going to shape you and i'm going to use you and you're going to see my promises come to pass he looks at us and he says there's going to be something more than who you used to be but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with christ Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. It doesn't say you can be, you might be, you will be if you get to be a good enough person. He says you used to be a sinner under the wrath of God. And now because God loved you so much through Jesus Christ, when you believe on him as your Lord and Savior, you are saved and you are made alive. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what God did through Jesus in you. And so when we look at somebody like Sarah and we say, how can God use somebody who laughs at his promises? That's really a question we direct at ourselves. How can God use somebody like me? I, I struggle with believing. I struggle with, with knowing the, the gospel. I struggle with, with living it out. I struggle with, with believing that God can really use me to, to reach people around me, to raise up godly children, to, to have a godly marriage, to, to be an employee or employer that does it with morals and biblical strength. I struggle. I don't know that I can be any of those things. You're right. You can't on your own. But God... He comes, and through Christ Jesus, He works in your life. 
And He brings you to life. And He makes you what He longs for you to be. First alive in Him. But then He makes the imperfect perfect. He begins to shape you. He begins to pour over you the righteousness of Christ. And what was imperfect and unacceptable and unusable now becomes a valuable tool in the hand of God. Just like over time and through shaping and molding, Abraham and Sarah become the inheritors of promise. And Scripture tells us based on their faith, based on what God was doing in them, they inherit the promises. You and I too can be made alive. We can be made perfect. And we can inherit those promises that God has made. And He will use imperfect people like you and me to bring about His perfect plan of redemption. And what is that plan of redemption? God longs for the gospel to go out and people to be saved. And guess what? He can use people like you and me to do it. How do we know that's true? I want you to just journey with me, those of you especially who know your biblical history, and let's, let's take a, just an imagining of the imperfect people that God uses to accomplish His perfect plan. I mean, we can go back. We can take a step back even from Abraham, and we can look at, at Noah. Noah, who it says he was righteous in God's eyes, but then we find this righteous man after God rescues him, after God reestablishes him as, in his family as the only ones on earth. After the flood, he plants grapes, he makes wine, he gets drunk and hangs out naked in his tent. Oh my goodness, what? Yes! He's imperfect. Abraham, imperfect. The man walks in to kingdoms and with a straight face lies to people about who his wife is. She's not, no, that's my sister. Don't kill me. Sarah joins in, lies with Abraham. Both of them laugh in God's face when they hear his promise. No way. You can't do that. And yet, what does God do through them? He gives them a child. His promise comes true, not because of them, but because of his power, his faithfulness. From that child comes two more children. From, those, from one of those two come 12. From those 12 come all the people of Israel. One of them is the tribe of Judah, from whom comes the Savior of all mankind. God used Abraham and Sarah They're the first links in a beautiful chain of redemption that bring us to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who buys it for everybody and then calls us into now continuing the work of redemption by sharing his good news. Other people, imperfect people that sometimes we put on pedestals who are part of this process. Moses, David, I mean, me. And ultimately, part of this process, the imperfect ones that God can use, you. You are a critical link in the chain of redemption for someone else. And it means, don't wait for God to make you perfect. Instead, believe in the perfect God and that He could do miracles in and through you. He can change your potty mouth. He can help your marriage to be restored. He can help you to live out Scripture in the lives of your children and train them up, and it's never too late to start. I don't care if they are in your house, out of your house, 
putting you in a home. I mean, it's just, right, wherever you are in the relationship with your children, it's never too late to start living out the gospel. You, each and every one of you, you are a link in the redemption story for someone else. But only if you believe that God can use imperfect people like you and I. And I believe it. Why do I believe it? Because he does it over and over and over and over again in Scripture and church history. Imperfect people who struggled to believe, whose faith seemed to waver, and yet ultimately his promise is sure and God uses them. So as we, we wrap up this morning, as we look at, at what this story brings home for us, just some questions. First of all, I want to ask you the question, have you been brought to life by Christ Jesus? We look back in Ephesians chapter 2 there. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. The first step to being part of the chain of redemption is to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Now, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is each and every one of us was shaped lovingly by a creator who created us with a purpose that was to walk with him in fellowship and to in obedience. But all of us, beginning with Adam and Eve and all throughout history, we have rebelled against God. We have chosen our own way. We have sinned. And that has earned for us the wrath of God, a just punishment from him and death both spiritual and physical. But God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity, who was fully God and fully man, who lived a perfect and sinless life, and then willingly gave His life as the payment for your sins and mine upon the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God. He took the punishment for your sins and mine. And He died was buried, rose again on the third day to prove that He really is the Son of God. He really is the Savior, the Messiah, the one who came to free us from slavery to sin. And that new life, forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternity, the promise of being made whole in this life, it's all available to whoever will believe on Him as their Lord and Savior. And not just give a a, a mental yes Sure, he was a guy in history, but to literally turn your life over to him as your king. And that is what it means to be brought to life. Have you turned yourself over to Jesus? God loved you so much. God wants to use you. God wants to be right in relationship with you. But it takes your first step of saying, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, today is the day you can be brought to life. If only you'll submit to him. Those of you who know I'm alive in Jesus, are you being made perfect? And the answer to that is you are as you walk in submission to him. And so you can trust him when you get to the third question. Are you ready to be used? If you're alive and you're being made perfect, why are you not ready to be used? Why are you holding back? Why are you hiding your faith? Look, not all of us have to go be missionaries in Zambia. And you know what's funny is it could be that Zambia is more Christian than the United States at this point, but um, not all of us have to go be missionaries in Detroit. There you go. There's a mission field that would be scary. 
but all of us should be willing to be used where we are today, realizing our imperfections do not prevent the perfect God from working through us. In fact, they set the stage for him to get all the glory and for us to see that he is powerful and real and amazing. And that we get to see his redemption and his glory revealed in our life. As the worship team makes their way up to close us out for our day, I just want to invite all of you to join me in a, a few moments. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. If you today need to, to make a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you just to speak to him with the best of your understanding and tell him about how you would like to turn your life over to him and you recognize your need for salvation. If you are already alive in Christ, but you're struggling with your own imperfections and feeling like you can't be used, like, like you're worthless, you're laughing at the promises of God like Sarah and Abraham did, I want to just ask you today to trust that God can heal you. He could make you whole. He can help you defeat that sin. He can help you stand up and proclaim His name. And then finally, I encourage everyone just to ask God, what's my next step? What would you have me to do? In what area of my life would you have me trust your promises so that I can see your perfection working in my imperfection? Do you need to trust Jesus today? Do you need to trust him to make you perfect over time? And then do you need to trust that he can work through you and ask him what area of life he would have you to move in? Let's spend some time just, just reflecting on what God is speaking to our hearts and minds today. Father God, we are so thankful that you look down on us with all of our imperfections, with all of our failings, and you don't discount us, you don't cast us aside, but you say to us, I'd like to bring you to life. And so this morning, may we all begin in ever-increasing measure to experience the life that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Whether it's for the first time, a, a prayer of submission, a life of faith, or it's a continuation, a, a rededication of every moment to him. Would you make us alive? Would you rescue us from our sins? Would you restore us as we submit to him as our Savior? Lord Jesus, Take this imperfect and use it. Help us to be confident in the fact that your promises can come true for our homes, for our workplaces, for our interactions in the grocery store and on the road, that you genuinely can use each and every one of us to reach out to the world around us that we might be a chain or a link in the chain of redemption in their life. 
that you would use us to, to, to proclaim the gospel to our spouses. You would use us to proclaim the gospel to our children and our extended family. You would use us to proclaim the good news of Jesus to co-workers and to cashiers. Not because we deserve to be used, but because you can take what is imperfect Thank you for the story of Sarah, both her faithfulness and her frailties can speak to us. And so help us to long to be faithful, but to understand that our frailties do not keep you from working. We trust your hand this morning. We submit ourselves to you. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and sing
for you and guides your very footsteps. We'll see you all next.